Thanks for tuning in to Small Big Wings, a window to the world of young, ambitious problem solvers. They are makers, designers, builders, hackers, scientists who heard their inner voice and amplified it. To learn more about our guest and to view the highlights of this episode, head on over to fbw.hvj.coach. Abhishek is the founder of Navgurukul. He has all the ingredients of a flourishing tech career, having co-founded two companies, Zumble and Frankly, before moving on to find Navgurukul. His LinkedIn profile mentions, college education sucks, but is there an alternative? Abhishek found his inner calling trying to answer questions which stared at him in the face. How should the evenly distributed genius across the world get access to the unevenly distributed opportunities? How can we build access to holistic and inclusive higher education spaces for everyone and not just for the privileged? How can we facilitate everyone to fulfill their aspirations, not just fill their bellies? With Navgurukul, Abhishek and his team have built together an ecosystem which the world thinks is creating coders. But the reality is that they are creating self-confident youth who are breaking the chain of intergenerational poverty. The coding part is just the icing on the cake. The cake itself is the reconstruction of the student's self-esteem, their ability to take on life, with courage and conviction and the life skills which they gather in the process. How is Abhishek and his team able to do with students in one year what a college takes four years? And that with children who don't have the financial privilege and literacy levels. Let's plunge and let Abhishek demolish our myths and enlighten us. A very, very special welcome to you, Abhishek, on the Small Big Wins podcast. For me, it's a big privilege to be your host today. Thank you, Ash, for the really kind words and really look forward to our conversation. Abhishek, it is imperative that before we delve deeper into the subject, we must know your story. Why don't you share with us your growing up, where you grew up, your family, and the impactful influences in your life which have molded you, which have brought you where you are today? I grew up in a middle-class family in Gurugaon. My dad is a chartered accountant. I think I had a fairly simple upbringing. My mom is a housewife. She was always available to us. And they really took care of our academics, our education. And my dad particularly used to spend a lot of time with me. He would talk to me about Bhagat Singh and Vinoba Bhave and different leaders who essentially were very powerful or instrumental in bringing the change and helping us to not just the freedom, but also work on it when we had it. And I think that was the first spark as far as I remember, where I would think about or dream about doing some of those things myself, not to compare, not to say uh, I can reach there, but just as an inspiration or someone to follow the steps of. In terms of my school and childhood, I think 
I I had a very stable support system from my family, but I struggled in my school. I was bullied, and then I changed my school. And even the new school, I could not trust people. I was fairly judgmental about what they were up to, also, and that made it very hard for me to make friends. I was not comfortable with the abuses, for example, that would usually float around in our classroom. I remember, like, when I was in monitor, I once made a chart of people who used to give abuses and put it on the display board. It was clearly awesome. very infamous move, and I made a lot of enemies. Until I got into my college, I fairly had a similar run in the schools. I couldn't feel very connected to the people. But when I got into college, I think a lot changed. I I felt far more confident about who I was. My judgments, my ideas changed. I was far more forthcoming for people to enter into my life. Far more vulnerable with them. At the same time, I think a lot of that happened because I. could be with people who i could relate myself with there were people who were nerdy who were trying to do their own things who were hard working and really had a outlook interestingly when i started working in social sector like little bit attending workshops i realized that i want to work on change at the same time i was impatient about it i was not very comfortable to do something which is not going to stay i didn't have any of those answers because of which i sometimes felt frustrated with the idea of bringing change and then another interesting thing started happening i started getting aloof from most of my friends who were made in my college because a lot of these ideas around gender around mental health etc i i just could not talk to my friends about them and i think that has also been a recurring theme in my life i have been a very people centric person but for me my ideas have been far more important so sometimes a big transition in the way i think have led to a transition in the people i surround myself with and obviously vice versa those people have strongly affected my ideas as well right um then i started my first startup in my college which was basically about connecting people to each other to talk about topics that they felt interested or they uh, thought were meaningful and are important for them to talk about then that startup was acquired which gave me some cash liquidity to a freedom to you know think financially So I started really questioning my relationship with money at that point of time. I started asking my friends like what do you do if you had lots of money? And interestingly almost all the answers did not require them to have a lot of money. So they would say things like I would go to a beach and I would fetch fancy simple answers but at the same time they didn't require money. So I mean the question for me was then what am I making money for? So I started asking other the same question. I I I think I have a tendency to offload my thinking process sometimes to make it easier and to have more data so i started asking them how much money would you take or would you need or would you save before you retire or before you decide to follow your dreams and sometimes people will say 1 crore 2 crore whatever crores or 50 lakhs 60 lakhs and then there is this friend of mine and he said i want to make 5 crores before i retire and follow my dreams and i said to him but you already have 10 crores and he's like oh yeah i i don't think i can stop making money and he continues to do so 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 i think that was a very clear hit to me i had to realize that how much money do i need to make and for that i needed to answer what kind of lifestyle do i need to support because a big part of your money goes into buying assurances or insurance but also it it is required to support your lifestyle so i started very strongly questioning what part of lifestyle where i spend my money makes me happy does spending money in a high end restaurant makes me happy does buying clothes for myself or my family makes me happy what what makes me happy and interestingly it started changing and influencing my relationships with everything it changed my relationships with my profession my clothes my food 
my friends everything that you can think of it changed because ultimately we are living in a very strongly economically connected world sometimes you know even small small things would inspire me like i was supposed to have breakfast with, the, with some friends and with a group of three people and we were discussing where should we eat and one of them said costa and i i personally at that time didn't want to spend so much money on costa because i realized it didn't make me any happy i would be equally happy at eating a simpler place and then this third friend said you know maybe come to my place and i'll buy some milk and we'll buy some papayas and we'll have it and i really really love fruits basically <laughs> so but i for example at that point realized i don't have the courage to typically change plans and i typically follow along but then again when i started getting that confidence i started feeling more comfortable in asking people for plans that worked for me like saying instead of meeting at a high end restaurant can we meet at this place and actually have fruits instead you know something as simple as that it has been fairly important to me fairly important to my journey uh, to where i am right now and i think i continue to take some of those experiments even today and i i really feel privileged to be able to do that uh, without a lot of pressure and to in that to some extent support from people around me so abhishek this whole matter about relationship with money does it also have some roots from your childhood something which you have seen something which you have been influenced by when i was younger i mean my dad as i mentioned he was a chartered accountant and he used to work for a private company and there was this time when his company stopped paying him and even before that i think somewhere i had this idea that my parents are poor <laughs> they were not really poor actually <laughs> but i just i just somewhere i thought that we don't have lots of money and i was someone who would save crazy amounts of money i would go on crazy lengths to save money actually i would not eat chocolates i would not eat namkeen or biscuits and i was a very different child actually like you know my parents my mom used to feel very sad sometimes like she really wished that i would make demands ki mamma meko ye toy chahiye mamma meko ye biscuit chahiye namkeen chahiye mithai chahiye because children are supposed to do that right i mean and even as a young child i would never do that i was very conscious about all of it i would remember each and every penny that someone would spend on me and i was very very mindful of money actually but when i look at it time i was not unhappy about it it didn't make me feel any bad about it also i do understand that being having scarcity obviously limited me in many ways which is not the case right now i don't feel scarce in terms of what i have it's just a choice i think at that point i didn't have a choice in my mind in my mind there was a story and that story dictated me to be very conscious about the way i spend money for example did inequality bother you yeah i think inequality in my life was a very crazy theme i don't even know how i got it because nobody talked about it. even my dad like he used to talk about many things but as a word inequality didn't come into our conversations as far as i remember and it used to bother me to a point where like i would go out to marriages and i would cry like i would literally cry as a young child as well like you know what is this kind of pomp and obscenity like the only word i could relate was obscenity or अभी तब उतनी अच्छी इंग्लिश नहीं थी तो ऑप्शनिटी नहीं बोलता था तो पागलपन बोलता था कि ये क्या पागलपन चल रहा है यहाँ पे दिमाग में और मैं किसी को नहीं बताता था सारी चीज आई ने शादी उनकी होती थी तो हाउ दे गेट इट सो एनी मैरिज गो एंड क्राई एंड मैरिज रिमेम्बर My sister is going, and I love her so much. But the fact was, I was just irritated at the level of display of wealth, and and like I used to cry at almost all the Diwali's. I, I just could not burn crackers 
used to be a very hard task because my my brother used to enjoy burning crackers my parents used to encourage me to do that as a family celebration but it used to be a very painful memory for me to you know uh, burst crackers and i still remember what i would do is i would burst crackers i would try to put a good put up a good face i'll run away to the roof and i'll start crying and i i don't even know why i used to do that and many crazy some similar things like we had a rickshaw from my home to my school that rickshaw used to take me it was already booked so i was just constantly irritated by the fact that you know why he is supposed to drive me so but since he was booked my mom used to pay him so what i used to do is i had a deal with him that i would keep my bag on the rickshaw and i would walk with that but i would not basically go on that rickshaw myself right uh, and he would take me to the school that way but because he also said that i need to go to the school i can't not do something he was also someone who was very clear about it and i would make excuses about it and i started lying i started telling to my parents it's important for my health i i need to walk when they got to know about it so i mean many things like that happened but i think as a theme that has money has been very interesting and important to me uh, abhishek you spoke about being bullied in school yeah and why does this happen abhishek i mean from your personal experience why why do these things happen why cannot we have an environment in schools which is more understanding which is more of empathy it happens because we don't know ourselves we don't know we are broken and and it's not just that someone trying to harm someone they are harming themselves in the process and i, I still remember one of the incidents uh, it was somewhere around 8th or 9th class i used to be very vocal i used to go and participate in debates speeches etc and then there were some people who were upset with me and when i was speaking on the stage they started making some lewd gestures and i got distracted and i walked off from the stage and for next four years i never participated on any on stage activity and even today i have stage fear despite sometimes being invited at stages i feel uncomfortable literally used to shiver until a year ago when i would go on stage but i don't think those people were trying to harm me they just didn't know any better they were going through their own part of being broken and i think i can say that with some confidence now because i have been broken at many places i have hurt people according to unfortunately sometimes it happens and i think a lot of that can be blamed on our system which does not value emotional learning it does not talk about it as it doesn't want you to understand your own challenges or struggles and unfortunately it's very hard because the moment it happens even the parents always going to be cautioned like recently i was taking therapy for my one of my past relationships and we got to discuss the attachment styles and i got to realize that my attachment style is an avoidant attachment style where you because of you know certain experiences you try to avoid many things where the things become too close to you right and the person i was with hasn't had an anxious attachment style where this person i mean she was not comfortable with the idea of people leaving her and we had extreme personality types it conflicted and i ended up creating a lot of hurt to her and i didn't want any of that hurt to her it, it damaged me as well as a person just that i didn't know and 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 that's where i feel that it's just a struggle for all of us to even understand the nuances of bullying because the older you are the more rigid you get harder it is for you to work on your own emotional uh, spaces whether it be empathy whether it may be sensitivity or it may be being vulnerable i think it's it's harder to work on that if you're older so if i would have children i think i would want to spend a lot of lot of time not on their coding skills not on their english skills but on their emotional learning are they able to connect to me are they able to connect to the ecosystem they are a part of are they able to connect to their friends even something like you know some of my friends they do this circle so their friends, uh, children that their children and the parents sit in a circle every single week and they discuss 
whatever may be bothering any of them it's a way of saying that howsoever whatsoever your age is whatever you are going to say is important to me if you tell me you're uncomfortable with the way i treat you as a child i i'm going to hear you out i'm going to respect your opinion and i'm going to work on it and i think somewhere all of these ideas has then shaped nabgurkul because we don't want to create a place where people come and learn and they continue to do the same things unfortunately when we're working at scale you cannot ensure that but do you have that intention to work on it do you have the need spelled out clearly to work on it in a country like india i asked this question to one of my donors and they wanted us to get rid of that kind of program because they said you are doing software engineering you are giving guaranteed jobs why do you want to take up this battle of working on these things working on these aspects with your students and i asked him do you know what is the rate of domestic rapes in our country being from the social sector he said yeah i think it's somewhere close to 60 70% domestic rapes and probably there are much more than that because so many are unreported and these are from surveys the people still feel shy and i said you want me to train these girls and 3 years later you want me to get phone calls from these girls where they tell me we got education but we did not understand our agency to prevent what we could have prevented what this education could have prevented primary education says you're too young to know second education says you're you're preparing yourself for the careers focus on careers focus on your board examinations colleges you know it's not our job anyhow nobody is willing to take the responsibility parents don't understand that again we can't blame parents here they don't understand that my my dad thinks i i could not share with him that i was bullied and it was so bad of me i was so stubborn about it but does that raise a question on the space that existed between me and him and if it does how would i convey it to him because whenever i do i fail and he's he's not someone who has been abusive or bad to me he has been an amazing figure he has been someone i has looked up to all my life so so it's also not you know someone trying to harm you someone wanting to harm you it's almost like all of us are broken in our own ways and we do need that love we do need that support system we do need to call out that we need that help we need to be helped our relationships are a mess our work is a mess our relationship with our work is a mess and unfortunately all of these dialogues are hidden and we are supposed to keep walking this path with a brave face out there i think our relationship with our work is a mess and that is what we call stress yeah i agree yeah yeah and uh, then we are trying to manage stress which actually should not need any management you can manage much better things in life other than stress yeah yeah and also i feel that to be honest like from my past experiences even if your relationship is sorted work wise you may still have stress like stress is something which is very very pervasive it comes in very different ways but at least i think you have a direction like i i would not say navgurukul does not give me stress navgurukul gives me crazy kind of stress so many times like we're running an organization which is working with women and sometimes there are things that happen and you get to hear them and they make me cry they give me all kinds of stress recently one of our ch- child she tried to kill herself over a guy i lost days of sleep i was so stressed out but i do i do feel my relationship with work at that point was sorted so i personally feel stress is pervasive but at least i do feel that there is a direction for me i i feel and that direction I didn't feel when i was working in my startups i didn't feel that i was becoming a happier person every day and i am of the opinion you can choose to be happy with this stress if you know how to manage it well so somewhere i mean i don't know i mean at least as per my understanding i have accepted stress to be a part of my life and instead of trying to get rid of stress i'm trying to have better stress dealing mechanisms and that also allows me to sometimes 
take bigger risk, which might actually be stressful. I mean, if you are running an organization, I think it's very hard for it to be not stressful for many reasons. True. Abhishek, you mentioned that unfortunately on scale, we won't be able to keep the same kind of environment. Yeah. So you have two centers now, one in Bangalore and one in Dharamshala. Maybe at this point, tell us about your vision with Navgurukul. My vision for Navgurukul is to make sure that as many people as we can touch, they have access to aspirational careers. They can choose their careers and they can have careers which give them right kind of pay, right kind of you know, work that they want to do and ultimately be happy. But that's, that's more of a book version of what we sort of talk about. But the visual that I share in my mind is to have rural centers which are completely sustainable, made out of mud, etc. You have dry toilets, you have all the kind of, you know, sustainability built into that right, right away, not just financial sustainability, your closeness to the environment is built into that center right away. And you have people coming over there, they're deciding which course they want to pick up, irrespective of where they are from, irrespective of how much do they know, your center should be able to provide them a year or somewhere on that long training for them to be able to pick up a good career. So if you are basically being abused in a relationship and you have to leave your relationship, it should not be a problem where you should go. You should be able to come to our center unannounced, come whenever, spend one year, learn whatever skill we can offer and you want to pick up from. And within a year, you basically take charge of your life, preferably give pay forward that money for someone else. And, and that is one reason why we want our course to be very frugal. We want it to be very economical so that we can, we have time to work with people. We don't want to run a two months or a three months course. We want to run a one year course, two year course with people so that in depth, we can allow them to work on themselves. And that's why I think the students who are coming to us within a year, without knowing a lot of maths, without knowing English, without knowing computers, they're able to bag a job as a software programmer in companies like Mindtree, ThoughtWorks, DirectEye, and so many other startups. So our, our vision or our idea is to work deeply on different careers out there. It might be counseling psychology, it might be software engineering, it might be design, it might be business administration, it might be tourism, but work in depth with people and make sure that they have, the choices are increasing, their well-being is increasing. So instead of, let's say, targeting concepts like GDP, how do you target, you know, for example, happiness questions as Bhutan does. So we don't want to be an organization which is crazy about the economical impact. We want to be an organization which ultimately leads to improvement. And I, I call them life outcomes. Improvement in quality of life or those life outcomes, as I, as I prefer to call them. I just came across this uh, article which, which said that the meaning of the word educate is to draw out of a student. And actually what is happening in our system is to push inside the student a lot of things. Absolutely. I so, so I resonate with what you are saying and what you are doing with uh, your students at Navgurukul's is creating the conditions and the environment for you to be able to draw out from them and express their individuality with that skill then. Yeah, yeah, I agree. In fact, it's also very ironical because in our school system, we are given marks, let's say out of 10. I mean, I remember I got 99 
in my mathematics board examination and i cried and i cried because i couldn't get a 100 <laughs> and my my grandfather was basically he's a pgt teacher so he always told everyone my 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 grandson will always get 100 so <laughs> when i didn't get a 9 when i didn't get 100 i was so sad about it like you know i didn't tell myself that there were 99 things i knew i was constantly bothered about one thing that i did not no and unfortunately that's how our education system makes us instead of focusing that if you get you know 7 out of 10 marks instead of telling you that you you know 7 out of 10 things that's so amazing it tells you you're so stupid you don't know 30% of the stuff your friend knows 99% of the stuff and this is very interesting also given the fact that in the industry it does not matter as much of what you don't know industries work on the principle of what do you know really really well so if i say i'm really good at software programming and i may just say i'm very good at python programming language i may not even know other programming languages i may not have any clue about history or mathematics or english also at some places i would thrive as a worker but in my school i'm supposed to be called stupid because i'm not able to do other subjects or even in the same subject i'm scoring 7 out of 10 So I think instead of looking at you, you know your work is supposed to look at what do you know. If you have gotten seven out of ten, how do I focus on that seven and make you an expert on that? Our entire focus is how do I focus on that three and make you feel bad about yourself. True. Yeah, that is the whole strength part. You mentioned earlier that one of your investors mentioned that you know why are you focusing on the softer side of things and why shouldn't you be just focused on the skill part of it now it's very clear what you are doing in your campuses it's very clear your intentions your idea about life and the way we should be is very clear from this conversation now when scaling up happens how do you keep the same environment going you also said that it's going to be a challenge so what do you need to do to make sure that the same environment if there even when you scale up because i think every leader i have spoken to says that when we scale up we will not be able to keep the same environment yeah i think i think it's it's generally a very practical problem and i'll give you one example of how this has panned out at nagurkul so i used to spend a lot of time in our girls campus and my co-founder rishabh used to spend a lot of time in a boys campus dharmshala and mostly that happened because of our location preferences so when we got like when i was in in, in the uh, Bangalore Center. I think we really did crazy activities. Like I used to make sure that at six a.m. every day, I'll make, I'll take everything to the ground. I'll make them exercise heavily. There were a lot of dances. Every rain will dance basically, you know. And there was a lake nearby. We bought life jackets for the girls, and they used to take life jackets and used to swim in the lake. And this was a big lake and nearby our campus, like barely two hundred, three hundred meters away. I think as an organization, when you grow, <laughs> you start becoming little risk averse, right? I mean. i trusted myself but the facilitator is coming and they say that you know we want the students to go into lake and do this you will ask five more questions like you know how do you make sure they say what kind of safety equipment do you have i also you know asked those questions to myself and i answered them promptly i'm just trying to give this example when you have bigger organization you are more process oriented you have to look out on how do you maintain some of the important safety standards for example another activity that for example i used to do is when new people used to join I used to say you go and dance on the street for like an hour, 
and I, I used to find that activity very interesting because a lot of these girls and most of these girls actually are harassed all the time on the street and this, this street is a very unsafe space. So it was a way for them to reclaim that space for some time without any hesitation. But let's say again, you know, you're a big organization. It might be, it may sound stupid. How can you allow that to happen? What if some unscrupulous element in the society creates an issue? It's a very fair criticism. And I think that level of experimentation in whatever you do, your courage, I think somewhere, unfortunately, I think founders have it more. And to build a team which is equally committed to that is harder. I've seen that in my experience. I mean, I mean, people come and they have been continuing many of those activities. I just feel that the intensity is not even currently as high as it was before. So, so that I think is one. Uh, how do you carry on that enthusiasm to your team, to your students is not trivial. Secondly, as I mentioned, like as an organization grow, your processes become more complicated. Having to respect those processes become a harder journey. Thirdly, you want to figure out a way to, even for some of these things, you want to have some kind of system to be able to deal with it. And unfortunately, system allows you to scale, but sometimes it benefits you to cross that system. So it can be, it can be a challenge on how do you make a culture where people are completely comfortable breaking the system. And at the same time, the system is preserved, right? I mean, because a bigger system, when it falls, the chances of the damage can be very, very high. So you don't want a system to fall, but also allow people to break their system. And I think that's where some of those challenges come up. At least for us, the answer is really in being very verbose about it, in being very vulnerable and upfront about it. So that instead of trying to hide away these complexities to make rapid succession, we want to really acknowledge these challenges and make sure that at least the team we have they're able to understand and question themselves on some of these questions, ideas, and there's some way for them to challenge themselves and the system they are a part of. And that's where, you know, we have, we have some many interesting policies also. For example, we have a very transparent policy around audit. So as an organization, we have a mandate that if someone wants to do an audit for us, any kind of audit, we as an organization are mandated to provide them all kinds of support. To make sure that their audit is successful and all kinds of data. We don't want to hide data. Obviously, with certain safeguards, like the data has to be used anonymously, for example. We, in fact, encourage not just, you know, it's a policy, but we encourage everyone to do whatever reports come on us publicly. We don't want to hide any report, even before we see them. We say, whatever report comes, whatever analysis you have on us, you share it publicly. We want it to be shared. You are a volunteer, you, you feel certain problems are there in the campus, share it publicly. Share with us about your newsletter. How do you reflect your values and culture through that? The newsletters that you send to people, we don't send some rosy pictures. We send something called GBU. We send them a monthly reflection on what good happened in our campuses, what bad happened in our campuses, what ugly happened in our campuses. We want to talk about the bad stuff, about the fact that people are not mentally healthy all the time. They are stressed about the jobs, their education the situation in their families. And we want to talk about how we are struggling as an organization to solve all of these problems. How mental health is a big concern. How one person had tried to kill herself because of a relationship. But at the same time, as an organization, we couldn't detect it. We couldn't provide her counseling at the right time for her to work on that relationship or that separation that she became a part of. I'm just trying to say that for us, how do we still uphold values that are dear to us? So that those values show our way to be vulnerable, to be experimental, to be 
courageous while at the same time keep trying to build a system which supports our growth and sometimes they work in tandem and sometimes they work in conflict and that's where the balancing act and the challenge lies within the culture there is this good bad ugly sharing and within that good bad ugly you want to bring up all the elements of acknowledgement questioning vulnerability transparency courage whatever is there out in a transparent way to everyone absolutely yeah and with that help leaders to emerge so that the difference between or the bridge that needs to be created between the energies that let's say me and rishabh could bring into the organization could be replicated by the next level of leadership or the chain right i mean so a lot of this is about culture at the level of the team so that this culture is preserved at the level of the suit abhishek i was talking to one another participant in the podcast before a few weeks she mentioned that that as organizations scale up and grow up there is a very very crucial element of making sure that you are still able to do a lot of one on one conversations with people and are also able to put in required coaching to the required people hmm. what do you yeah. think about this so i i think i fully agree uh, with what she said in fact i've been deeply involved into all the layers of our conversations like students alumni team members and i think it's it's very very critical i was on a break for last two months actually on doing this apart from the last two months i've been pretty active because last two months i just wanted to spend most of my time with my team members because we recruited many new people in our team but i think i fully agree i think as a founder slowly and slowly your role changes from being someone who is building the organization to someone who is building the right values the culture and bringing the right people in and you ultimately pave the way so that they can create and you can be behind them for them to be able to do that well and i also see that change happening in my way of working like from someone who used to work most of the time by you know build things i think i'm consciously spending less time building things right now rather than being available to my team members and the volunteers who are working actively with us earlier you said that uh, you were very clear that you wouldn't want to get into a job yeah can you talk a little more about this that why why was this i think even when i was in college i knew money didn't matter to me a lot like i just didn't know to what extent i knew it didn't matter to me sufficiently enough to do something that i don't feel passionate about and i've always been a person jo bahut hi na passionate idea driven tha isko har do mahine mein na kuch na kuch naya suchta tha ye karna hai ye karna hai ye karna hai so i think job to mujhe bahut clear thi kyunki mereko bahut extreme control chahiye tha jo main karna chahta hu uske upar even like you know brief work with organizations i think i've sometimes struggled to execute the things that i have wanted to execute because maybe their environment was not very conducive to it and i had to let's say work for few years before i could reach to that position i think i was zeal made it very clear to me i cannot work on something until i really really want it and i think there was a lot of confidence that i had in my own abilities to do that by myself so i think the job question became out of question like i felt like i had to do this and i think due to my family upbringing so what i've been hearing in my family most of the time was that uh, people started doing jobs but when they got into business they had freedom and they could grow exponentially that was in largely more in context of financial thing but i think i did observe that people who were into businesses in my family were at least able to do more in terms of what they wanted just that what they wanted and what i want is very different i mean they wanted more money i wanted more freedom and expression 
and now it's more impact but but i think i think i've been i've grown up seeing successful business folks in my family and that helped me a lot so i i often wonder abhishek that people like yourself people who are tilted towards entrepreneurism and they have that bent of mind they want that freedom and expression and therefore they start their own they follow their own calling and build something on that and that means on a macro level that means that the job market is devoid of people with such energy or people with such thinking so i often think that companies therefore have to work so much on their culture to make sure that they are also able to inculcate that energy and that creativity in the people they have Hmm. 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 Yeah, I I fully agree. I think uh, necessarily I think culture becomes important even for a not just a big organization, even for a small organization. Even when we are doing hiring, we have to really provide the kind of things I am talking about. I needed so as to make sure that we can attract the kind of people who have that level of independent thinking, who want their own spaces, who want to lead things by themselves. Right? I mean, because it's, it's almost like you have something which is up and running, and you want someone to do more with it. so ultimately you want people who are driven by themselves and people who are also driven by themselves as you rightly mentioned they might have a propensity to do things by themselves by creating a new venture or so i think somewhere uh, organizationally as you rightly mentioned the culture is very paramount to make sure the people who are coming in they feel that they have the space to do what they want to right and abhishek talking about culture i also noticed that uh, when you take in students after a math english and an algebra test you have something like a culture fit conversation yeah can you tell us a little on that yeah so i think so it's a good thing and also an unfortunate thing and i'll explain both why it's an unfortunate thing because by the time we are old maybe even 18 or 19 a lot of our ideas are already formed like a lot of our empathy skills somewhat language skills there's a lot of concreteness that they already have so we do want to work with people who are more sensitive for example and this you know it's a very controversial topic in itself because because how do you determine if someone is sensitive but i think when you grow a company there are certain values that you look forward in terms of people you hire similarly for us it's equally important that the people we are looking forward to join our family we want them to have certain values sensitivity for example is one very important value and inclination to take an action on what they believe is an important value you can call it courage you can call it action oriented mindset there are certain things we feel that are important but maybe we can build them with little bit more ease than other skills like for example growth mindset but again growth mindset can be very instrumental for someone like we have had people whose baselines are very poor but whose growth mindset was so amazing that they could learn things with ease so i think that's the sort of role of our culture interview but at the same time because you know unfortunately that's pre navgurkul we try not to be very rigid about it we try to be more comfortable about the idea that they might be false negatives they might be people who might enter into your system without necessarily following all the values and we want to be okay with that but still i mean it it still this process helps us to have some kind of understanding and also tilt the scales towards some of the values that we find are important while we admit a student so yeah i think it's it, sometimes i find it unfortunate because it still leads to certain rejections there are people who are very needy and they would need an opportunity like this but unfortunately we can't we have to sometimes reject them on this and that's where we find it sometimes very very painful to do yeah i think you have also 
brought a solution for that in terms of your free online courses yeah so we are trying to enter into online uh, space through online live classes so we are targeting about 1500 people 1500 people to purchase your courses online we have somewhere around 15 to 20% of that already enrolled we take four live classes every week for these students two are master classes by experts two are doubt classes by our existing students and alumni and the ideas for the people to learn programming and with the recent policy changes including mandatory coding from 6th class i think what navgurukul is going to do is or we have become far more relevant and contextual today than we were 3 days ago or 4 days ago strong need for the country if we are serious about implementing mandatory coding from 6th class that we do it right otherwise essentially we bring the entire education down imagine you're running a company and you start a new vertical and do you do it really really poorly far worse than what your current standards are so in some ways that vertical instead of adding new outcomes it probably drag your current company's status down it drags your current standards down and i do fear that that may happen with the current education policy where we are talking about mandatory programming from 6th class unless you do it right there is an urgent need for us to work on this and be able to partner and collaborate with as many colleges as many schools for students who have access to coding on their mobile phones because the people we deal with they don't have laptops or desktops so we are doing these online courses as well as we are doing basically about to launch a mobile application through which on their mobile phone they can learn they can interact with their mentors and practice their programming skills on that same single mobile phone because we realized that they cannot have multiple applications due to space constraints on the mobile for different different parts of learning so i think uh, these things actually can help us in improving our pipeline to ensure that the people are getting early intervention so that by the time they uh, reach to the age group we deal with they 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 would be better equipped to be able to sort of do this it's a solution but also it's a long term solution to some extent so we, we continue to work on our existing solutions and still try to push this as much as we can because from long term perspective this is almost like instead of designing an entrance system which evaluates you i think the question that we want to try out is can we build a system which trains you which works with you and on the basis of that understands your weaknesses and strength and accordingly make a decision if the system and you are aligned for a course in that particular area so instead of evaluating it's more like you know working together with someone and then making a more informed choice from both sides so that that person also decide whether they are meant to cut out for it and we also decide if the basics that we're looking for are aligned so far yeah abhishek why do you think the national education policy has brought mandatory coding learning from class 6 onwards i think i'm too small a person to comment on it honestly because i don't understand the policy level decisions very well uh, and i have not heard any chatter before it just came to me as a surprise so i don't know people who were involved or what they were thinking but i personally think this is a response to the fact that things are changing very very rapidly 21st century skills are going to be very very different from what they were earlier and that's where these policies were needed and somewhere coding and technology has become very very persuasive and unfortunately that is going to bring some very unfortunate digital divide and technology divide not even just bring you know it's already there and it's just magnifying these days so somewhere i think this is an attempt to bridge that if you are familiar with the reality of the schools there's a huge chance it will fail unless the government is responsive to how to actually go about implementing this and i do hope that happens i do feel optimistic as well because governments at all the levels state levels and the central levels 
have recently started being more responsive to tech-based and non-profit-based solutions, which might be more efficient than the government's conventional solutions. I hope that it happens, but I also do fear that it has a potential of bringing the level of education down unless it is right because you have teachers who don't even know how to properly use a computer. Teaching programming is so much, so much harder. Even in some good colleges, teachers who are teaching programming, they don't know basics of the programming because you know, the, the colleges have this weird conditions of who should be a teacher. So if you want a beard teacher to teach programming to students, good luck. You cannot do that. You have to devise very different ways of making sure it happens. I'm not talking about few hundred teachers, few hundred teachers who are beard, who can teach programming is pretty trivial. But when you look at the scale of the country that we have adapting technology for people who have already done beard is not easy. One reason why we also succeed is we are working with young children. I mean, young adults. If you ask me to teach programming to a 35 year old, it's relatively harder. You just ruined some of my ambitions. No, 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 no. But, but <laughs> that's a lot. I think I, I will not say it's harder for me to learn coding than a 18 year old student from, you know, our background because the kind of exposure that we have. Yeah. We'll learn programming in two weeks, not even a year. Yeah. And I'm thinking from my experience, my brother started picking programming. I think in two weeks he became, he learned as much as some of my students learned in six months. Yeah. We are going to come to that later. And I really liked the perspective which you gave of how this national education and policy condition should be implemented as far as coding is concerned. Tell me, Abhishek, if you look at some of the stalwarts like uh, Paul Graham of Y Combinator, Elon Musk, Naval, or if you look at Austin Elred of Lambda School, it is all about saying always that coding is empowering, coding is liberating, everyone should know coding. I was talking to Zach Lata, who has founded Hack Club, and Zach says that coding is just next to being a superpower. What is your take, Abhishek? And the government now bringing it into the national education policy from class six onwards, somewhere acknowledges all this, it endorses all this. So what is your take? Why is coding almost next to being a superpower? Why is it so empowering? Why is it so liberating? I think I can probably answer this, but I want to answer a question that you have not asked right now. It's, it's the reverse of what you're asking, actually. It's threatening. Okay. I, I feel that the way humans are evolving before technology came, before industrial vision came was very, very slow. And there are obviously a lot of disadvantages of doing that. For example, the medical science progress in the last few hundred years is tremendous, especially last hundred years, I would say. Uh, but at the same time, it's, it's harder for us to adopt to those changes. We don't sometimes know what it takes. And the lower you are in that pyramid of privilege, the harder it is going for you to adopt, basically. What I basically feel is the fact that, I mean, coding has crazy, crazy, crazy benefits. And I think those are being talked about heavily right now. But there are a few very important questions there. One, how many jobs are we even talking about in coding? If I understand the data correctly, they're only close to 1 lakh to 1.5 lakhs annual jobs in coding. In a country like India, even if you multiply that by two, 3 lakhs jobs a year is not a lot. Especially if those 3 lakhs jobs are taking away another 3 lakhs jobs. And again, it is not to say I don't want to embrace coding. We are an organization that promotes or encourages coding. I want to bring attention to the fact that disparity is what is on a rise. It's very interesting and ironical because at one point of time, I mean, at the same time, people below poverty line are decreasing. 
that is happening the number of people who are in below poverty they're significantly decreasing every single year and we're doing great strides at the same time the parity is continuously on the rise the amount of wealth accumulated by a very small section of the population is on a continuous rise both of the things are able to exist because we are able to do a lot of value creation because of the resources that we have but unfortunately some of the economists they clearly argue about the fact for how long can we sustain this kind of growth because at some point so the, the merit of that argument is very simple that growth happens when you do a more efficient utilization of resources or you identify a new set of resources so let's say you identify a new oil mine some new growth will be triggered because of it or you get to you know let's say place a lot of your people from agriculture sector to coding sector growth will happen that's the nature of growth but this this there's a very clear limitation that it cannot be endless so while as a developing country where we do have reasonable growth right now obviously corona has completely changed that equation as well the rising disparity is even a bigger threat that did not exist maybe 10 years ago or 20 years ago my fundamental problem with romanticizing coding or romanticizing big startups is the fact that we are also going on this path of centralizing okay and it's not you know i'm not a pessimist i'm not an abolitionist i'm not trying to say we should not do this that 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 but i'm just trying to give an alternative view because i see the other views far more prevalent and you know one very narrow example like probably people people would say it's such so narrow and it does not make sense but just to you know for some someone who might want to think about it like just because of the amazing effort that has happened in technology in music industry now one rahman can cater to music interest of crores of people at once you don't need a singer in each and every village earlier there used to be a person a singer technically or sort of someone who plays practically in every village all that is destroyed right now and again i'm not blaming here someone i'm not putting this charge on some music company not that intention but the fact is that the people who are then losing jobs in that process especially if they are in the bottom of the pyramid how would they cope up we don't have answers to that and unfortunately what happens in that journey is that you come up with lot of destruction and and sometimes we are non cognizant about it because that destruction happens so far away from us and and when i say so far away it does not mean physically it might happen in the slum 50 meters away from you yeah but it happens so far away emotionally from you that we don't understand we don't connect to it and that's where i feel that while the progressive the policy is forward looking is progressive also that the gap itself is so threatening that there needs to be urgent attention to the fact that if we are giving up to the fact that you know that a lot of our things are going to be driven through code that automation is something that we need to be very very mindful about and bpos for example you know bpos the call centers have driven a reasonable part of our jobs for a long time in our country and google for example is coming up with automatic machine learning oriented voice support system right i mean organizations which are shifting from work from home like the office boys they don't need office boys as they would as they needed earlier and again i'm not saying the transition cannot happen i'm just saying that the transition for a person who is who does not have the right means and the privilege is very very hard and when you accumulate those people it is not 100 or 1000 or even 100000 you're talking about millions of people and transitions for million of people is like you know is is like migration we we talk about migration when indian pakistan were formed to one country 
we talk about the migration that happened in the and the destruction that it brought about and that migration is very graphic the effects were very graphic and appalling i am not trying to say that those similar kind of graphics apply here all i'm just saying is migration is not easy for the people who are doing it and being cognizant about it is incredibly hard right now and especially as an organization this is a very important question is like while we are promoting coding how do we also meaningfully issue a warning <laughs> yes but abhishek on the other side the, for the students who come to you and uh, who go out of your system after one year does coding enable them to be better creative thinkers or better problem solvers i don't think so okay it it might be a controversial view maybe more logical thinking maybe right. more critical thinking i have personally felt like my experiences the kind of skills that i want to work on with people are design thinking problem solving sensitivity building emotional intelligence through building the right coping mechanisms through right relationships understanding i i mean if i were to focus on my child's growth i would work on these rather than necessarily logical thinking see i mean i'll give you another example literacy for example right we we play a lot of emphasis on literacy policies finland does not encourage literacy until the students are 7 they don't want their children to do a lot of reading and writing because by the time they are 7 they want them to work on their non written expressions lot more than that so that there other expressions of visually expressing expressing through movements expressing through their hands so i'm just saying that i understand that focusing on literacy from the perspective of growth i also feel that they may not be the best ways to let's say create a very healthy environment and especially i'm talking about this from the lens of the underprivileged children you're giving them coding you're adding to the burden and if you don't do it well you're going to make them feel bad feel worse about themselves without creating any meaningful opportunities for them i see where you are coming from and i really liked the four points which you mentioned about where you are going to focus on if it were your own child i think that was very valuable abhishek abhishek talking about this disparity and this disparity is getting worse and worse also because of certain economic policies in terms of printing currencies and the way quantitative easing is being done what is happening because of that is that the poor is becoming poorer and the rich is becoming even more richer yeah and the gap increases now given this kind of environment do you have some kind of a take on bitcoin i think i don't uh, follow much of it i had some views earlier but i think pretty old right now all right maybe it would be nice in the future to get your get your ideas on that because that is all math and code yeah i think i think i do feel that the problem is more cultural than currency oriented to be honest as a country do we even want a country which is a social welfare oriented state yeah um do we want to follow the model of usa right i mean usa is is an example right where they have all possible wealth and extreme disparity the wealthiest country probably in the world if i am correct i mean I'm, i don't know i'm just guessing and with one of the highest disparities as well compare it to countries like sweden germany you know and many other european states where the wealth is there the disparity is lesser and then people give arguments like wealthy countries may you know they don't we don't have sufficient wealth to be able to pull that off etc etc but do we even demand that do we even want that do we even ask for that i just feel that we are very comfortable following the us model of growth culturally culturally we align much more with that 
right now at least because we have our own pain and anguish from the socialist practices that india picked up and we feel that a big part of our development came from 1991 and i don't disagree i feel that has been probably a great step i am not against capitalism i'm not against privatization i'm all pro all of these things but do you do you feel inclined to have policies where the prime focus is on social welfare so navguru is a not for profit yes you had many different choices when you formed navguru kul yeah why did you make it not for profit in that question was really uh, strong in our heads when we started navguru kul because we wanted it to be like even not just we wanted it to be even today i want navguru kul to be financially sustainable or maybe even a profitable venture we just wanted it to be a non profit because philosophically our agreement between me and my co-founder rishab was the fact that we want education to be free we want education to be a business where whatever money comes to you and whatever money you can earn out of it you invest back you invest that back immediately into your business of providing education so i don't mind saying we work as a business in some way but i just want this business to be something where all the money it is not going to heavy salaries it is not going to dividends it is not going to creating shareholder value it literally goes into innovating to reach the last mile we don't want to have volume of people just for the heck of it our focus is to really reach the last mile and the problem with last mile is that as a for profit entity it does not make sense for you right i mean if you're running a bus service you'll run it in gurgaon you will not run that bus service in the hills of the in the you know remotest part of the himachal maybe in the streets of dharmshala you will because dharmshala is a pretty active tourist space and that's where government operates and and that's where we feel that there is a certain limitation that the private offer right you have amazing initiative in terms of you know i juice white hat topper blah 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 and amazing initiatives very well funded initiatives maybe with 1000 crores in the bank account uh, you know sitting right there but do they want to reach last mile no even if they say they want to reach last mile they lying the model works on exclusivity the models work on creating fear the models work on the fact that some people can achieve and should achieve more than others yes that's deep that's philosophical and as you said that was a philosophical understanding between you and rishab boys and girls what is the difference abhishek in your efforts to bring them on make them learn place them how is the effort different how much is it different and why right it's been a very interesting journey for me uh, personally because like initially when i started my gender journey i didn't i was not very comfortable acknowledging that two genders can be so different but i also what i feel right on it may change i feel that gender can be strongly reinforced especially if you are in a family where gender roles are very very strict and unfortunately because we are living in that most of the time we have reinforced certain gender roles which may not be very natural but are definitely there as part of nurture so what we have observed at navgurukul in terms of our gender differences is that one it is very easy for us to bring boys into our campus we have a huge pipeline of boys waiting to join our campus for girls it's much harder because parents don't want to send their daughters second boys have more more exposure to maths and tinkering because they were allowed to make mistakes far more at their homes than our girls mm-hmm. see, girls tend to be more averse to making mistakes at least in our campuses and to give you an example we have seen that the boys without permission they will open up their laptops they will play with ram whatever whatever they will find we have seen that girls tend to be very afraid of doing that even if we tell them yaar aap khol ke dekho to sahi laptop kaise kaam karta hai kharab hai aap khol lo par wo tinker nahi karenge and again these are solvable problems i do feel that those are nurture problems not nature problems 
but at least somewhere we have seen that impacting the way we do things we have seen that girls that when they come they are very hesitant and it, it takes some time for us to block like you know open up their boxes with the boys we have seen that they are very tight in terms of their sharing of their feelings and emotions and vulnerabilities and it takes us some time to help them to be more vulnerable in the settings because we feel vulnerability is a very important value in the communities especially if you want to build a community which support each other in terms of learning i think since we are trying to reach the last mile especially with the girls we tend up we end up taking in a lot of girls whose mathematical baselines are much lower than the boys so in general our course duration for the boys tend to be lesser our expenses for the boys tend to be almost 50 60% lesser our security challenges around the girls tend to be at least 5x higher so i mean there are many such challenges as well in terms of learning i think the girls have lot more pressure from their families uh, boys also have a lot of pressure to earn quickly but the girls pressure is more to like return back to home quickly get married quickly unfortunately what happens at least in navgurgul case is that with boys the pressure to make money still aligns with our course and the person has to say okay mom please wait for dad please wait for me for six more months instead of two months maybe with the girl it has many different ramifications because now i mean navgurgul education may even take them further apart from a marriage that their parent considered easy right i mean um suddenly the the kind of groom that the parent would want would completely shift away from the social networks that they have right now so in some ways the parents were sending their daughters at navgurgul they're already uh, you know in some way investing into the fact that the daughters might be very different people when they finish this course off right i mean somewhere all parents especially for the girls it do think ki ladki ek bari bahar jayegi to bahut change hokar aayegi i think ladkiyon ke case mein humne bahut apparent dekha hai like i've seen girls changing significantly in this one year like you not be able to imagine and say oh this is the same girl like like you know there are people who come and they cannot even say the word periods like there was this girl who came and she literally fainted when someone uttered the word periods and she can comfortably talk talk about any topic in the world bravo is hardly any hesitation like yeah. and that's like one of the minor changes i'm talking about like when the minor and visible changes but i think in just terms of confidence <clears throat> we have had students who were hiv positive and you know they felt like they would not even mix with the students that we have and now you'll go to a campus you'll not be able to identify you'll not be able to segregate them but i mean when they joined us you could literally just spend 5 minutes and you can tell them that these are the students who are little different and maybe something is wrong with them that, that is so remarkable i was hearing rani pandit <laughs> and i was also reading about the girls who have come in from afghanistan now yeah yeah abhishek what are some of the instances that you are proud of from your students after leaving your campus and if possible non technical instances hmm i think i think that's <laughs> that's an answer i can go on days and nights about in fact that's what i think keeps me hooked to this work like feeling you know feeling that the work is little bit too much etc but i think these are the kinds of yeah make me stay yeah i think that's such a big driver yeah absolutely yeah that intangible part <laughs> i think whenever you build an academic institution or you teach the most important idea for you is to make sure that the people who are essentially working with you they go at far better places than you are or you ever have been and i think similar stories have been really really inspiring for me has has really forced me to just make sure that i give all i can to this initiative i think one of the stories goes back to rani 
Rani and I went for a Josh talk and basically they rejected my Josh talk. <laughs> they didn't like it. Probably because I speak too fast and then Rani's Josh talk was published and she got more than 5 lakh views. And I, I think that's sort of something which gives us a lot of confidence because ultimately that's what we want to do. We want these students to be able to represent themselves, speak for themselves. And instead of me, for example, being in this podcast, you know, they at some point organically grow into people who are essentially doing these discussions, telling about how they went about that journey. Similarly, like one of the movements was when they got into, you know, become things like Mind Tree ThoughtWorks. That has always been a very positive uh, feeling when they get placed academics, but they had that zeal. And when they essentially achieved any placement like thing, that was also a big deal. Then you get to hear them telling stories about how, and interestingly, the next change narrative is something that gives us a lot of comfort. Like the same girl would tell us that my parents would not let me decide anything and they would decide everything. And now if you talk to her and she, and she tells you how she's supporting not just her parents, her siblings, but also the extended family because Corona is there and nobody's earning. And all of them are basically, you know, they try to cozy up to her because uh, she's an important part of them. And she's the one who is driving some of these decisions now, in fact. One of the things that we see is that most of our girls who have gotten jobs, none of them have gotten married. Whereas some girls who dropped out, they have been married, unfortunately. So, I mean, you do see a lot of social uh, changes that are happening. Economical changes are obviously clearer because of the jobs. Then you also see, you know, when, when you see some small things like people actually trying to do more than what the job demands them to. For example, one of our students from Bihar, he recently started a campaign online for the Bihar floods. And almost most of our students did donate to that campaign. And uh, I mean, something as sporadic as that, because ultimately our goal is these students ultimately take charge of their communities and we don't want them to do it right away or even in the next two, three years or five years, because we all need that space to grow individually before we contribute or uh, think properly about us, you know, current society, especially in a big way. But when they essentially show any success signals, like, you know, starting this fundraiser page, then there's this girl I distinctly remember. And so what happened was there was some construction happening around our campus. And this girl went, like started spending a lot of her time at that construction site. And what she would do is just, she would just sit with the children and she would just keep teaching them. And I used to just sometimes go and, you know, just sit around and just listen to the kind of depth, the kind of, the the way she used to to teach. I think I've never been able to do that myself. Like just the level of empathy that she had with that child. And as I also mentioned earlier in the call, when I started teaching uh, in my, in my college time, I got frustrated. I got impatient and I was very unhappy with the fact that these people are not learning at a speed, which I wanted them to. And, and, you know, here I see someone who was so patient, who was so giving and who wanted to create impact, but also not obsessed with that idea. I think it was very liberating to just see that happening. And, and sometimes I make this joke internally that, you know, even if out of hundred people we teach, even if five people are like her, I think uh, we don't care as much as about if 95 people try to think about these things as much really, honestly, then you get to, you know, see your children responding to different kind of your gender issues very differently. For example, there were some e-teasing related issues around our campus. These girls started doing something called fearless walks. They would go outside and they would try to reclaim that space. They would do nukkan nataks in that street. And it was in Bangalore. So they didn't even know Kannada. And since it was street kind of thing, so they had to practice some Kannada to do that. So they picked up Kannada words because uh, one of our students was Kannada. So she, they basically talked to her to get those words and created their own play called Meri Jaga, in which they tried to ask, you know, what place belongs to them? Their house is not safe for them. Their street is not safe for them. Their organization might not be safe for them. So what is that safe space that they can claim for? You know? So I think the list will 
go on and on and on and on. Like there's this lake near to our campus where we bought object like jackets and people would just go and jump into the lake. And initially people used to be hesitant. But that that you know, leap of faith, that run that the girls used to have, they'll just walk and just jump. And that that confidence in the jump. Initially it started with people who were confident, and then you know, almost everybody got into that. Then people who were even who even had who were on periods, they started jumping. Initially, they found it very taboo, like, you know, how can I jump when I have periods? And they used to jump. People with HIV, they used to jump. Everyone used to jump. And that level of love that they shared for each other. In our conversation campus, like, there was this time when discriminated against. Not major things, but very minor things, which happens very routinely and are normalized. But we prefer not to do that. So for two days, we shut down our campus. We basically asked everyone to, you know, figure that out. Build bonds with each other. And the kind of work that they did on themselves, they just interacted with each other, got to know each other. Spend time dancing with each other, knowing each other, each and every person in the campus. Although I think I had some, most of my beautiful moments, in fact, when I was in those campuses or when I'm hearing these girls making some of these amazing journeys, doing work with more people. And I, and I feel pretty hopeful and excited about how they will surpass me very soon. <laughs> Look forward to that stage. And I often joke about it. Like my students are maybe 20, 21. They're far more sensitive. They're far more empathetic. They're far more knowledgeable in terms of what life may bring to them than when, than when I was 20 or 21. Because we are, the things that I'm learning right now, we're building that into their curriculum. Right? Probably in terms of technology, I might be at a better place when, when I was 20. I was into final year of my IIT and I think I was very good technologically. Maybe technologically they're behind me right now, but then I didn't work out. Anyhow, I didn't spend my next years on technology. So I think by the time they're 28, they'll be, better, they'll be a better human, they'll be better technology, they'll be better problem solvers. Uh, and if not all, at least hopefully many of them. And, and I think that's where I, I feel uh, very hopeful about Nagpur because we feel that it's not just a place to give someone a job, uh, and, you know, that, and that links back to where we started from. It really means how do we provide them wholesome education enough so that they become the leaders that we need. So in some ways, when we're doing this with them, it's not them who, are, who we are helping. It's us as a society who we are helping. And that's why I feel very shameless when I ask people for favors or donations or anything because Ultimately, they're not helping me or these girls or you know, these children. They're paying, we're playing our own part to sort of work on certain disparities that unfortunately we have also created. And it's not to again be shared as a blame and to start taking guilt about it, but it's something for us to be mindful and thoughtful about so that we can consciously figure out how to share our privilege instead of making it to a conversation of, oh shit, I'm such a bad person. Like that doesn't help. I think the humane environment which has been provided to them which because of your own vulnerability sensitivities in growing up you have been able to bring in your campuses i think that is giving us these beautiful stories of compassion valor vulnerability coming out from campuses i think this is really so touching to hear abhishek i was going through saral yeah the platform and I, I understand that this platform is created by your students and alumni together. Yeah. It's, it looks just phenomenal. What kind of a response do you have for Saral? Initially, Saral was mostly focused on our residential students. But I think for us, it has come up uh, to a point where we want to take a bigger leap into technology. And as I mentioned, we are launching an application which allows people to learn coding from wherever they are through their mobile phones. I think that's one place where we are sort of excited and nervous about because for the first time we'll be going out in the open with our product. And you know, especially it's, it's a little different because the, the students that we have right now using Saral, 
most of them are already very strongly imbibed into nagurul culture so they would have, they would of course like it and they would use it but when you are especially dealing with strangers and we don't want to make a mediocre product and then sell it we really want that product to be valuable enough for them to be able to say oh we really want it and i think so that's a new challenge for us and we're working very excitedly on that right as i understand you guarantee placements and yeah. if placement isn't found the student can continue to stay on in the campus yes how does this confidence how does this conviction come it's it's very simple even when i started navgurkul with rishabh i think we 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 said you know we are going to do a one year course and get students in fact actually navgurkul also started with a question so when i was in delhi government i started interacting students and they didn't have the proper career paths so i asked this question can we let's say have a room or a, i mean a house with 10 people living in with laptops and having access to resources and can in one day they get jobs like that was the question i asked and i started researching like what would people say what would people say the next question i started asking them what are the kind of things that help you in education nobody said infrastructure nobody said the best books most of people said you know there was a friend who encouraged me there was a teacher who said you can do it there was a network of people i was in touch with could mentor me there were some friends i could study with these are the things that people said were valuable to their learning processes so what we told ourselves at that moment was that we'll give it a shot and we'll see if that can be done in a year but the question is not can it be done the question is how quickly can it be done right i mean it's not that someone cannot learn programming you know or something anyone can learn anything basically the question is some some people will take more time than others some people will take less time than others and hence you just need to identify at what level how much time do you think they would need and accordingly commit them that and again philosophically that came very easy to us because it was very simple like i mean I, when i think of them i think of my children like you know as so i was like if i have my child and my child says dad i want to become a software engineer i will not say acha ruko isme to itna time lagega so i don't think tumhe software engineering karna chahiye i will provide whatever means i can i will provide whatever support i can and i will hope ki wo ek saal mein ho jayega ya 1.5 saal mein ho jayega ya 2 saal mein ho jayega agar 3 bhi lagega main mana nahi karunga usko 4 bhi lagega to bhi mana nahi karunga usko so we have this very clear policy ki bhai agar aap campus mein aaye ho aap job leke hi jaoge hum to nahi chhodenge aapko aap chhod do alag baat hai because of some other ghar ke reasons ya kuch bhi and come back anytime like there have been people like who went back to their home because something very troubling happened and they came after 6 months it's a family you come back again yaar it's you know you can't like once you are here you i mean will not let you go like that the the premise here is that they're not i mean actually the guarantee comes easy it's mostly an estimation actually i would say it's an estimation that how many months on an average the student would take a job to find a job to get a job but the philosophical assurance or the the comfort that is here is that even if they take more it's fine we are going to make sure it happens and if it doesn't happen then we have to research and we have to drill into why that didn't happen why that particular child could not study very well and what does it lead for us to change about and that's why you know it's not you can't it's, it's almost like uh, you can't drop someone in between you have to make sure that they reach this end stage so every person who takes more time also is a question for you what could have you done to make the journey swifter so there is a very continuous pressure for you to perform just because you are guaranteeing it so i think a very small fundamental change leads to a very different process in terms of how you deal with certain situations and that's uh, what yeah, i admire abhishek the way you take the questions and turn them around totally i think at a time when 
whether it is business or civil society or government leadership, when trust in leadership is eroding, I think what you and what Navguru Kul, your team together, is doing is just absolutely brilliant. This is what is needed for every organization to, I think, learn from and emulate in some or the other way. Abhishek, what are your experiments with your money stories? <laughs> I think with money, though, I, I've found a very good comfort zone where I don't spend most of, I mean, I don't spend money. I rarely spend money, basically. Like most of the times, it's just to travel some, somewhere because, you know, let's say I'm going to the campus and I have to spend some money, I do that. Or some very basic expenses if I have to make for my family. Like again, for example, for me, like I realize that I don't get happiness when I buy clothes for myself. But when my mom buys something and she feels comfortable buying it from my credit card, that gives me happiness. So <laughs> some of those purchases happen. I think for me, as I mentioned, it has been a very strong journey. And it has been a journey which has frustrated my parents most because they don't find any of those changes normal. And I would not say they are normal when you look at society. For example, the most recent experiment that I've been doing is not using fan or AC in the summertime in Gurugaon, which can be pretty hot. And somewhere it started a few years ago. So I had tuberculosis when I was in ninth class, I guess, or eight. And for one or two years, it was a mess. And after that, there was a lot of immunity issues. And my mom used to cover me with all kinds of clothing and etc. And my doctor used to tell my mom, don't do that. It will lead to bad immunity. And I didn't understand it fully, like, you know? but also I was very fortunate to see that my grandparent, like one of my basic grandmother, she used to go to river Ganga and take bath at 4 AM at all the Amavasyas across all the months. So I am not sure if it was Amavasya or Purnima, I'm bad with those, but one of them, one of these days, like every single month without fail, she would go to Ganga and take a bath at 4 AM. Now, that's very interesting because it means that there were chilly months when she was getting going into Ganga and I used to be with her and I did not used to get into the water and I used to feel terrible. I mean, my, my, my grandmother does that. She has far better than, far better immunity than I do. And, and unfortunately, when I look at my parents, I think they are very unhealthy that they, you know, most of the systems are functioning very, very well. And then I met this person and, and I asked her, like, I'm not able to exercise this sector. And she says, where do you work? I said, I work with Delhi government. She said, which floor do you work? I said, sixth floor. She says, how do you go to those, that floor? I said, I sometimes take a lift. She said, walk, take stairs. And that simple thing was really, you know, a very interesting trigger along with others that actually, if I want to work on my health, if I want to work on my well-being, I just need to change certain way I look at certain things. Now, even if you have a building which is 16 floor or 20 floors, I will walk. 20 floors. I will not take a lift. And again, it's, you know, somewhere it aligns with saving energy. It aligns with many things. It is not about money in this case, particularly, but I enjoy that now. It's just, you know, it's like someone who would enjoy going into the gym and walking on a treadmill. They may enjoy it. I enjoy walking on stairs. Even if it's a 20 floor building, it's not a pressure for me. Even if I have three bags with myself, I've done that thing. I mean, that's the, that example came into my mind. So even with money, like, so I started realizing I want my body temperature range to be much higher. I want my immunity to be much higher. And that demanded me to let go of my comfort zone. I should not be, uh, like, one of the very basic things is you should not take bath, like, you should not bathe with uh, hot water in, when, as much as you can, if your body can allow yourself to. Because that increases your body's immunity range. You, you can do, you can handle more temperature ranges. Basically. So I started with that. Uh, even today, I think 
even in the peak of Delhi winters or Dharamshala winters, I don't wear any sweater or anything basically. I literally wear a very simple kurta and pajama. And I can still take bath in basically the chilly waters of Himachal in December and January and come back and dry myself and ride in the uh, whatever the temperature is and then go back to my campus. Uh, sun dry basically, sun, sun dry myself. And I used to do that a lot. I, I enjoy that a lot. And I don't get sick anymore with that. Uh, and by the, by, by the way, that water is chilling. <laughs> and actually in January or December, it's not easy to do that. But I, but I enjoy that. I mean, I, I love that. So my recent, the recent most example was to uh, let go of fan and AC. To again, allow my body to sweat as much as it wants to. And also be comfortable with the hot temperature ranges. And, and whenever I do these things, I never torture myself. I never pressurize myself. I just let it happen slowly. And let the thought come to my mind. So let's say the thought is there. I don't want to use ACs or fans. I will not use them until I need them. If I need them, I'll use them. Consciously, I just become aware of the fact, do I need it right now? Or am I doing it because I'm habitual of it? How successful have you been with the fans and ACs? I am talking to you from last two years without fans. No fan also? No fan. It doesn't bother you with your concentration, with your sleep? Absolutely not. I sleep very well. I am very focused. I mean, I don't even get to know. I mean, we're talking about it and hence it came to my mind. I don't think I feel anything else like how you would be feeling right now. I feel very comfortable, like absolutely comfortable. And tell us a little about your old phones, old laptops, three sets of clothes. Yeah, but I think this is my most recent experiment. So essentially, even like there was this time and I was very uh, conscious about how I look. And I started asking myself a lot of questions like, so the first question that came was, I was using this dating application, Tinder, it's very common. <laughs> and I was swiping left and right. And I said, what kind of blasphemy is this? Because if I'm putting someone right and putting someone left, in some ways I'm judging them all the time. And how can I escape judging myself if I'm judging someone else? There's no way to do that. So I decided I cannot use that application number one. <laughs> the second thing I realized was that if I say this photo of mine is better than the some other photo of mine, or this... If I click a photograph and I say, oh, this is so good. It assumes, it means there was a, some other photo, which is not as good. Like, you know, the existence of better relies on existence of worse. Yeah. And the same happened in the food, you know, and Vipassana, which is a meditation technique is all about being equanimous. Yeah. If you're not equanimous, that high is going to be accompanied by low in a different way. You're not just going to realize it right now. So it's, I started a lot of experimenting with my clothes. And first of all, my biggest comfort was to be comfortable howsoever I look. Uh, I just felt I wanted to be comfortable. So I started experimenting with different type of clothes, which I was not comfortable wearing initially. Uh, so that started. And then there was this person and she mentioned that she went to a workshop. And she's, a good, she's a good friend of mine. She went, uh, she went to a workshop and the person actually only has two pair of clothes. And he washes, like he wears one and washes the other one that day. And you know, that happens every single day. And I was so impressed. I found it so simple. I said, why don't I do that? So I decided to do three instead of two because I don't wash my clothes every day. <laughs> like that is the only logic. Otherwise I would have done with two. So I basically bought uh, three pajamas of same color. Kurtas I don't buy because my mom, like unfortunately has a big repository of kurtas for me already. So I'm just trying to still finish the, those off. Uh, these are very simple, plain kurtas. I, I just absolutely love wearing them. So yeah, so even with the phones and laptops, I typically buy old ones. Uh, again, see, there's nothing here to that I can't buy a new one. I can buy a new one. It's just that 
I know it's not going to give me happiness. So if it does, I'll I'll invest. If it doesn't, I want to invest a lot of money is to buy my own land, like maybe four to five acres of land in a village area and build my own mud house. And not the fancy mud houses that are started to construct these days. We're building two-story mud houses with a little bit of cement. But I mean, I love those houses as well. But I really want to build a very simple mud house for myself. I want to build my own house. I, and I have, fortunately, I have friends who have done that. So, I mean, none of these things that I'm saying are hypothetical. I have lived in those houses. I have helped in building those houses. And I have friends who have built those houses for themselves and their families. They build it themselves. It's hardly, you know, it hardly takes any money. Lands are very cheap in rural areas. And I want to build this four acre sort of my own internal campus. And I want to open up this place for people to just come. I do want to have a community space where people are just coming and exploring and staying without paying anything. They should not be worried about someone needs to be paid, etc. And just live peacefully and experiment. Just play around with life. But sometimes just zone out from life. And that's one of my personal ambitions. I don't want to support it from non-profit money because I feel uh, it's, it's too personal for me rather than I mean, I don't care if this benefits society. I, I feel it's something which is something I'm going to find powerful. I, I grow very uh, positively when I'm with people who are exploring, who are experimenting. So I think having a space like that where 30, 40 people are just staying and nurturing that space as, it, as if it is their own without any financial obligations is something that I want to invest money on. And I have fortunately been able to save money to be able to do that. And that's the only place I want to invest it. So I'm just waiting. I was actually about to buy the land this year. But because of Corona, things are shifted and I'm waiting some, for some more courage also to be able to do that because it's going to do a lot of, it's going to involve a lot of energy from my side also to be able to a space requires you to be present there in a big way. And somewhere my business, I mean, Nagurkul makes it hard for me to do that, but I'm very consciously trying to make myself remind that I have to do that as soon as I can. So 2021 will be dedicated at least in my own books for that. And what does your family think about what you are doing, your dad, your mom, your relative, what you are doing, and also the way you are doing it? I think my family particularly, it's very hard for them. I mean, they are trying to be very, very supportive. They're trying to be very, very understanding. It's just that sometimes they don't get it why I do such things, right? I mean, it's just almost like for them, it's crazy that why am I not using fans in such peak summers when they're using ACs, right? I mean... We have ACs all over our house. And I'm saying I'm not going to use fan, right? I mean, it's, it's, for them, it sounds stupid. It sounds delusional. It sounds unsocial. It sounds something which might take me to a lifestyle that they feel I'll be single all throughout. I may not have people around me. I think they are trying to cope with that. They don't obviously get it, but they're trying to support it. And I think a lot of that has been happening in the last few years because initially they were far more resistant and slowly, slowly they've started realizing that I'm not someone who budgets from my own chances. And hence, they, I think they also try to be comfortable with that, but it still takes time. And there are certain things that are always important for them, which they always keep on suggesting that you should work on that. You should change that. You should maybe do a, dif- do a different thing. But I think I'm also trying to build my acceptance towards the fact that this is always going to be there. The care and love for me is going to come out in a way where they're going to be far more concerned uh, about all of this than feel proud because the natural is- response to me is being protective and and I'm not someone who is very protective of my own self. I do things which are very crazy in some ways. These ideas are pretty hard to imagine. You are so high on independent thinking and I think also very, very high on introspection. So what 
what would you say for students to have these qualities i would like to sort of reinforce this very very clearly none of the choices are easy whatever things i may have said on this podcast it may sound very nice interesting worth doing because i have been answering all the positive things right now i don't think it has been a positive journey all the way around uh, in fact the very thing you mentioned the independent thinking it also leads to its own challenges i am sometimes very non compromising on things pretty easy for people to change their stances on right maybe romantic relationship maybe a sibling relationship or maybe a parent child relationship ultimately relationship does demand other person to understand i'm talking about my parent understanding me right now but do i understand them am i willing to change myself for them no i'm not shown that willingness so far and i think i'm an incredibly hard child to accept as a child i'm incredibly hard partner to accept as a partner i think it's something that you need to decide for yourself even if you want to do that none of this is going to be easy and if i when i read about people because i think i have led part of this journey in some ways i also see that so the greatest things that we talk about those are actually how hard could it have been on them and their family to be able to accept that let's say you can romanticize the feeling of sacrifice or giving away but for someone who is in your family who would want those things for himself or herself they would not be comfortable with the idea of giving away some of those things and ultimately we are a social element so for me it has also worked in different way where my social network has changed significantly i think my family which i obviously cannot change and don't want to change i think my friend circle changed a lot in last few years and i think that's where i feel that my ideas are more important than sometimes i feel the people are involved in my life and at times people feel that disposable and and that hurts them and it hurts my relationship with them and, but at the same time i know that i have to walk on this journey i have to figure out some of the things for myself maybe at some place i'll feel very comfortable with who i am and i'll be okay doing other choices also see i mean even if let's say we're talking about clothes let's say i have to wear clothes for a function i don't do that right now easily it's a big trouble for me but maybe at some point i'll be so comfortable that even wearing those expensive clothes might not trouble me because even that troubling you is not good for you right so yeah uh, and that idea is to liberate yourself i will not say i'm liberated from it in some way there is another idea that has so much taken over me that that idea has taken all the dominance at some point probably i'll be free from this entirely like i'll not even need to i'll not even judge myself for wearing an expensive clothes i think somewhere because of i don't know because of sensitivity or overthinking or i don't know i just feel that i do end up taking too much guilt about things that probably i should not be taking for that guilt has sometimes helped me to drive me further it has also made it harder for me to sometimes live a very joyful life and i have been taking therapy for that as well like some friends are helping me with that i i really feel grateful for the people who understand me in this and i feel very grateful to be part of a very vibrant alternative sector i i don't like the word alternative really i feel it should be the mainstream but unfortunately it's how it is right now but who have been able to really understand who have been able to share their experiences with me and able to validate my journey while also be able to offer more hindsight or more insight from their journeys and i think that's one of the reasons why somewhere the people my journeys have changed a lot because the journey itself becomes so important that the a lot of interactions are around my ideas are around things that i want to do and hence people who i can identify within these sums of these ideas they end up being far closer to me than this this approach probably brings a lot of objectivity in your life doesn't it ha huh. but that can also be harmful because i have been to and fro this journey like i started with someone who is very rational very objective i 
went through a lot of journey where i started to focus on my non rational part of myself right i mean my, my very emotional part of myself my vulnerable part of myself and that has been very very liberating for me in fact i do feel that one of the biggest wrongs that happened to me at my journey of iit was iit made me far too rational it continues to reinforce you are so smart you're so smart everything can be answered by smartness it cannot be i cannot solve everything i cannot solve my basic life problems and you know even this example of that attachment style that i mentioned when you talked about bullying that i didn't want to hurt this person i ended up hurting this person i'm someone who's broken at my own levels and i cannot afford to be objective in this i need to understand i need to be far more sensitive if possible to the other people hurt i need to be far more equipped to be able to handle it if i know about it so i think it's it's again i mean it's a never ending journey and i think this quest can sometimes be draining as well but i mean i would not trade it for something else like <laughs> i think i do hear what you are saying and i would just maybe if at all put some description to it i would say that it is like a disinterested interest and a dispassionate passion towards things yeah i think that that has happened to me a lot it's a good description i mean i do sometimes struggle to be very to be visually passionate about things that i feel very strongly about and sometimes that bother other people around as well because they would want to be passionate about certain things which are considered to be normal what is happiness then for you this is something that i'm still trying to figure out for myself i don't know there have been times when i've been happy and i've not been working at all at the same time when i do that for long i feel very sad because things impact me so much so when i read news it becomes incredibly hard for me to just swallow it like corona virus had hit me very personally not because corona had anything to you know it changed my lifestyle significantly but more importantly i felt so small about what i could have done what i can potentially do about it so somewhere you know it's, it's a lot of work on me like i need to get rid of ideas that i can actually bring about a lot of change that i didn't feel so dangerous to my existence like because it it forces me right you know it just is like a pressure that someone may say or put upon a child and say you have to score very very well instead of just scoring the pressure that i am putting on myself is you have to bring about so much impact and there is a certain milestone and it it bothers me sometimes not sometimes you know a lot of times i think i'm still trying to understand what gives me happiness and joy uh, i use the word joy a lot can you start asking this question for your activities does it give me joy does it go, give me joy right now or if it does not like what does it lead me to so i think somewhere i'm trying to start this activity i'm trying to do- document this journal this understand what is giving me joy fortunately i think i have taken some good steps around it exercise gives me a lot of joy listening to people gives me a lot of joy sometimes just being validated gives me joy it gives me happiness just knowing similar experiences gives me a lot of happiness helping people gives me crazy amount of joy like crazy amount of joy i think i'm overdoing it right now in some extent i mean i feel that i need to define limits for that to be and i think in some ways in last two months or three months i'm trying to define my boundaries better i think but being available to people gives me a lot of joy i i really find it very very nice when someone is happy because i said them something or i did something small or big so yeah so i think so those things give me a lot of joy and my parents are happy that it gives me a lot of joy i absolutely feel very very joyful today i'm so happy to talk to you i cannot tell you same here abhishek what is leadership for you i think leadership is for me i try to make a very strong distinction between leadership and heroism unfortunately most of us end up being heroes i think what we should aspire is for leadership and i think one way i look at leadership is that even if you die even if you go away even if you're not there the people who are inspired by you the people who want to lead uh and they have their own styles of working and it's completely all right but at the same time this certain influence that you have 
like whatever controversies people may think that gandhi is all about at the same time i think is a tremendously great leader if people following him people understanding his ideas you know following is the wrong word i think just the ideas that he started talking about yeah people talking about everywhere you know vinoba bhave for example you know how i talk so highly about gandhi right and there's so so many people who are now following vinoba bhave who are so now so much impressed by vinoba bhave i think i am a person who was impressed so much more by vinoba bhave and then also gandhi also i mean i'm a big fan to be honest but i i just feel leadership from me is what these guys said you know about kabira did it is 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 a lot of inspiration actually how, how do you live and and i think it has to happen at the level of your own values and of your own life i don't find musk or jobs or these people strongly leadership driven they obviously jobs has influenced a crazy deal of design for that i really appreciate him but i think just in terms of leadership style i i appreciate people who have lived with values which inspires me to do even smallest of my actions people who have given significance to the smallest of the things while probably having outcomes which are much larger than what probably would could imagine them to be ambedkar i really uh, admire for different reasons but i i really like ambedkar yeah i think the most profound answer of always lie in values and philosophy and just being able to live them for a long part of your life it's not easy i mean even for example gandhi i mean he had a crazy challenge with his family right i mean yeah he have a functional relationship with his child because then you're so strongly idea bound sometimes you become impaired to fully respond to the needs of people who are close to you or uh, whose needs you feel may not align necessarily with your values you just mentioned about kabir yeah which are one or two of your favorite quotes favorite dohas from him i i love a lot of kabir's one of the one of the very simple ones that i i like is badi taakat hai ye fakiri mein it's it's not a doha so i mean so kabir ka yeah. do एक एक तो दोहा वाला पार्ट है जो हम लोग स्कूल्स में पढ़ते हैं और एक उसका सॉन्ग्स वाला पूरा जी जी तो मेरे को जो सॉन्ग्स वाले हैं उसमें वो सॉन्ग्स आई मीन दोहे तो ऑब्वियसली आई मीन आई हैव लव्ड देम बट सम ऑफ द सॉन्ग्स दे रियली अपीयर टू मी लाइक ऑलमोस्ट एवरी सेकंड डे आई हैव टू हियर वन कबीर सॉन्ग एंड द वे ही टॉक्स अबाउट द गॉड द वे ही टॉक्स अबाउट फाइंडिंग योर इनर गॉड आई थिंक इट रियली रियली अपीयर्स टू मी एंड स्पेशली द निर्गुणी भजन दैट ही हैज और जब वो एक 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 कबीर का ना बहुत सुंदर भजन है जीनी जीनी थे बीनी चदरिया जी 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 बिल्कुल It just this gives me so much peace. I I can't even tell you like and, and when he says na ki I don't remember the words but it just makes me so happy like <laughs> because I think sometimes I do struggle with the idea because ultimately in this in the universe we end up consuming so much and just being able to return something as it was with that purity. It's just such a powerful concept. I I just really love the way he he says all of these things. I think his magic uh, was that looking at just such mundane things, he yeah. could connect it to that unknowable mystery. He was just so so self-aware because of that. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. probably uh, you know, आगे पीछे आपके साथ कबीर साहब के बारे में गुफ्तगु करने के लिए एक अलग private conversation करेंगे. पानी भरे अनेक भांडे ही में भेद है पानी सब में एक कबीरा and uh, abhishek what are 
some of the books which you are influenced by, which you would want to suggest to the podcast listeners to take a look at, to consider reading? Yeah, I think uh, one of my favorite ones is One Straw Revolution. It's a book on natural farming. I think that book significantly changed and challenged my ideas. It talks about farming, but it can challenge you about farming, diet, what natural means, what organic means. I mean, this this is, again, someone, as a person who really, really inspires me, it's a Japanese farmer. I think his name is Fukuoka. I am forgetting the right pronunciation. And this guy essentially uh, spent like decades on building the right kind of natural farming. Like, I just want to share one quotation from that book. Um, Man has been so used to controlling that when he sees a land, he wants to tell the nature that please give me a cashew farm, please give me this, please give me that. Nature does not work that way. You go to a forest, you will get all kinds of fruits, you'll get all kinds of nuts, you'll get all kinds of oils. So we have this idea of building farms. Can we surrender to the nature? Let nature build forests and we just harvest. Nature is super comfortable with us harvesting and nature continuously doing all the hard work of, you know, <laughs> Uh, seeding the cropping and making sure that the things are growing for you but in our journey we just become so myopic that we want to tell nature i want a cashew farm here i want an apple farm here and in that process we start harming ourselves and we start harming the nature i mean this is just one of my interpretation but i think he just gives so many beautiful examples of how from farming how a lot of our behavior is basically rooted into controlling you go into mud huts there are many mud huts where people are living without fans for a long time. Just that now we want to control everything. We want to control to the temperature that I want to have 23 degrees Celsius in my room. And this sounds so comforting. This sounds so liberating that uh, 23 degrees Celsius I can live in. But when I go outside, I still feel bad. Because again, I've been controlling the temperature in my room. So immediately, even the two minutes before I go from my room to my car, it is a painful experience. Because we are so used to controlling everything. And those two minutes are hard to control. If it was too, if it was left up to us, we will still try to control it. <laughs> the book is about farming, but it covers a lot many areas. I found it very spiritual. I do feel that India is gifted with so much spirituality. With people who are awakened to a very different way of doing things. Just because they were self-aware, as you rightly mentioned. Right? I mean, they could question whatever they were doing. It, it could have been something as mundane as uh, you know, stitching something like Kabira. And I don't even find money. I find it very interesting. But yeah, or something like, or you're basically a farmer. The kind of depth that you can achieve in spirituality in India, in places like Japan, I think it's very interesting. Another book I really, really enjoyed is India Before Gandhi. It, you don't have to be a Gandhi fan to love that book or to like that book or to learn from it. It discusses, it hardly talks about India actually. It, it mostly focuses on, I, I don't know why he said it, India Before Gandhi. Maybe I'm missing out something here. But it's mostly Gandhi before India. How was Gandhi's journey before he came to India? And I, I find that very interesting and powerful because it gives you a lot of insight about Gandhi as a person before he became Gandhi as Mahatma Gandhi or Mahatma, like, you know, someone who was already very influential and came to India. And uh, with Gandhi, the very interesting part is he experimented a lot. And fortunately, a lot of his experiments backfired. And I call it fortunate because that's a lot of learning source because you see that you know, in any learning journey, you're going to make mistakes, you're going to suffer in different ways and Gandhi has suffered as a person. It's not a purely white personality as maybe some people believe him to be or like would like him to be. I, I find him a very great personality and that's what adds charm to his personality for me or his leadership to me. Uh, he erred and he learned. I think those are the two books that have fundamentally, fundamentally changed me and I suggest everyone to 
go and read them. I love a lot of graphic novels, like there's a graphic novel called The Best We Could Do. It's about a Vietnamese uh, family where the author, and it's based on a real story of the author herself. And she talks about how uh, she started tracing back how, how her parents probably were shaped up as people. And she started looking at and tracing that how probably that influenced their parenting towards her. And then she looked at her own parenting style and ultimately she just summarizes this is very simple. I don't remember the statement, but the title was the best we could do. And this is what I want to do for my children. I want to do the best that we could do. And it just hit home probably also because again, in my case, I'm also trying to figure out my relationship with my parents. So that book really uh, impacted me emotionally. Like I, I, I could just sense that the, the gratitude has always been there for my parents, but just to also you know see that it, they actually tried so hard. I'm, I'm getting a far more comfortable arrangement that they never had access to. I can do these conversations that they not, didn't have access to. They were big, busy making their ends meet. It's their, it's their hard work that has given me the privilege to be able to do this. And so instead of maybe rejecting their parenting, it's to really embrace it. I think so. the, the book was very emotionally impactful on me because it really helped me to see my relationship with my parents in a different way, which is to not reject their parenting because I find certain flaws in that, but to also understand and accept it fully while being cognizant of the flaws. That is okay. That is important for your own awareness. And then uh, build upon that rather than building against that. So yeah, I think these are the three books that I can immediately think of. Uh, there'll be obviously many more. I, I love reading. Abhishek, do you think there is anything which which you want to share, which I have missed out? I personally felt that you have really been very open. But is there anything more you think which should come on this? I think something that I've been learning pretty significantly last few months, and I think there was this time not until very recently where I felt very low, uh, especially when you're embarking on a journey where you are trying to figure things out for yourself, have a very robust support system and reach out and reach out as much as you can, especially this reaching out will come very, very helpful to you when you're low or when you're struggling because you're already used to reaching out. So your habit pattern is to reach out. And I think what I've learned in last few years, especially is to be very shameless about being vulnerable. Be very vulnerable, be okay being flawed. Be okay expressing your vulnerabilities. People are hardly use them against you. In fact, most of the people, they're able to open themselves up. They're able to form deeper bonds with you, whether it be your team calls, whether it be your relationships, whether it be your parents. And I think I have tried to use that for myself. It is not easy. Sometimes it's very draining also because you're again and again going through your life journey, which might be hard, especially the parts where you were troubled for whatever reasons. And sometimes you do feel conscious about how would people you know, perceive it. I, I, I don't even know who's going to listen to this podcast and what they're going to make out of me. But I think the most important thing I think in this process for me has been to feel lighter within. And for me, that comes from being able to share and build this support system for myself. And I feel very strongly grateful about it for the people who are there in, in my life and my support system. And I also probably advise the same thing to every person to any person who's trying to get into this journey. It can be lonely, so build a support system. I think, uh, Abhishek, this is very, very sound, sane advice which you are giving. And I can completely acknowledge what you are saying because there is a situation for us in the family with a daughter who's studying in Japan. And that is what we tell Fastika that you have a very robust support system to just reach out when there is any kind of psychological or any other kind of issue which you may have. Yeah. But Harsh, another important, interesting thing that I have seen with me is that 
and I think it might be something a lot of people relate with, is that it's easier to give support than take support. It's easier to give support or offer support because you are in a position of giving and you know offering. Asking support requires you to be far more shameless and vulnerable. And what I've seen, at least in my conversations, is that when I become shameless, when I become vulnerable, the other person also starts becoming vulnerable to me. I think I, I fully agree to what you have said and I, I fully support that it should be done. I just feel that sometimes being able to offer support comes naturally to people and they do that more often than they ask for support. Yes. Uh, and, and especially with parents, like I, I, I do feel that my dad does not reach out to me for his emotional support. He feels that it is his problem. But I also imagine how beautiful that relation would be if he was able to share his frustrations in a very vulnerable manner. I think just just being shamelessly able to reach out for your problems, I think I find it tremendously, tremendously powerful, especially in healing relationships, in building relationships. Yeah. Absolutely right. I think Abhishek, I started talking to you and the big impression which I had was about coding, about your tech skills. I never thought that the word which would come up in this conversation, which would probably have the highest frequency would be vulnerability. So I think that is, that is the fun of these podcasts. I cannot thank you enough for being absolutely vulnerable, truthful to what you are uh, and sharing with me and via this podcast with all those other people in a completely grounded, sobering manner uh, about yourself. I cannot thank you enough for that, Abhishek. Thank you, Harsh, for having me here. I think it's, a, it's always a great opportunity just to be able to sort of again discuss your journey and with the hope that maybe it will benefit someone and happy that you invited me here. And I hope that someone resonates with it and find it useful. Indeed, Abhishek. Thank you so much, Abhishek. <laughs>